The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.' Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, "'Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith?' And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are out there. David told me that I needed to um, tell some dad jokes, but I will spare you any of his horrible jokes and just thank the dads and all father figures um, out there. Also realizing that this is a day that there might be some pain as well um, for those who don't have their dad here, for those who have lost their dad, for those who can't be dads, for those that didn't have a great relationship with their dads. We pray for you and with you. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts help us to live and love like you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So not only is today Father's Day, but it's also the first official day of summer. Kind of weird that it's raining outside, doesn't really feel like the summer day that we would hope for, but it does mean that today is supposed to be the longest day of daylight that you have. Now, anybody with little kids is going to be happy that we are finally at this day because it means every day starts getting shorter and shorter And when you try to put your kids to sleep, they're not going to say, but it's still light outside. So this is what I look for as a parent. But with summer comes one of my favorite things, being at the pool. There's nothing better on a hot day that the only decision you have to make is whether you're going to jump in or you're going to use the stairs. But water is a funny thing. It's refreshing and fun. It's relaxing to float on. It's It cools you off, you drink it to survive, but yet in a split second, water can turn deadly. I feel this even more with a five and a three-year-old. I realize just how dangerous water can be, especially when my anxiety gets the best of me. Our gospel today realizes that same fear and anxiety that you have when you're on the water. After a long day of teaching the crowds about farming and sowing and reaping and mustard seeds in the kingdom of God, Jesus needs to step away from it all. So he sets his sights on a trip across the Sea of Galilee. Now, although Jesus is the one to mention the trip, he is then in the hands of his disciples, which is a good place to be, considering that four of them are experienced fishermen. So after dismissing the crowd— The disciples took Jesus. He is now in their realm, and so I'm guessing he felt comfortable, and he went and fell asleep at the back of the boat. 
but they weren't alone either. It says that there's other boats that were with them. Jesus's entourage of disciples are growing. Soon, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, a great windstorm pops up out of nowhere, so great that the waves are crashing against the boat that's carrying Jesus and his disciples. The water begins to flood into the boat. There's such a vivid description to speak to the difficulties of this fast-changing situation. Now, not even the experienced fishermen can really do anything about it. On the Sea of Galilee, this was not an unusual occurrence. It is known to be changeable within the matter of seconds. The disciples would have on some level been accustomed to this unpredictable nature. But what they weren't accustomed to is having a passenger who just might have the power to protect them from whatever harm would come their way. Now, if we take a step back, we have to remember that we're four chapters in to the book of Mark, and Jesus's identity is still unclear. The disciples are going back and forth on who this Jesus character really is. So in their fear and in their desperation, the disciples turn to Jesus, who is sound asleep. The deep, calm sleep of Jesus is in such contrast to what is happening out in the world around them. So they wake him up. Who knows? Maybe they needed another hand to bail out some of the water. Maybe they needed help paddling and and controlling the boat. Or maybe, just maybe, they thought Jesus could be the one to help us. I mean, He was healing sick people at this point. He was casting out demons at this point. So whatever the reason was, they woke Jesus up with this criticism. Do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus, without missing a beat, gets up and immediately just rebukes the wind and says, peace, be still. In that moment, the disciples learned one more thing about Jesus. He too has power over nature and over its cause and effects on this world. The brutal wind had caused this violent storm on the sea, but Jesus utters three words, peace, be still. Boom, it's taken care of to a dead calm. Embodied in Jesus right before the disciples' eyes is the power of God's Word. It brings them back to that very first story in Scripture. God spoke and brought into being all creation. From a formless, chaotic void, God spoke, and again, boom, creation was brought forth. God's word then called a people and a nation and an inspired prophet who helped guide these people. And now God's word has become flesh in Jesus Christ. And this word become flesh speaks peace, be still, and calm comes next. 
This event leaves all the disciples scratching their heads and asking, who then, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this? Now here's the thing. The disciples didn't get to read the Christmas story of angels' visits, shepherds flocking, bright stars in the night, the magi visits. They didn't get to see the boy in the temple that was helping teach and learn and grow with the rabbis. They didn't even get to see the heavens ripped open at Jesus' baptism because they were busy learning the family trade or fishing or whatever else kids and young adults in those days did. But here's the important thing to remember. As humanity, we think that power means importance. We think that anyone worth anything is going to look a certain way, have a certain charisma, come from a certain type of family. And so did the disciples. So did the Jewish people of that time. The Messiah was going to be a king, a ruler, have all this earthly authority and this overwhelming power. But God, from the beginning of time, made it clear, I am God is king. God is the one who has the power and authority over the universe. God chose Israel to be the light to all nations, a people that were set apart, that were different from this world. But just like our humanity kicks in, so did theirs. And after God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, after God rescued them from the horrible king Pharaoh, after they had seen king after king after king fail at being a king, they forgot so quickly. And they began to beg and plead. They wanted God to give them a human king, somebody that they could see, touch, and worship. The very people who suffered so deeply at the hands of a king demanded from their God a king. Someone, something whispered inside them that they needed a king, right? To be like those other nations. They still didn't understand what God was trying to do by making them a people that were set apart from the nations to be a light to the nations. Shane Claiborne says this, Maybe they wanted a king because it's hard to have faith in a king you can't see. Of course, they didn't know that it would be even harder to keep faith in kings that they can see. It's hard to wrap your head around a God who, when asked for a name, says, I am. But let's not forget that this is the same king, the same God, who would rather stoop to camping out in the wilderness than getting shut up in a palace or places of power. Despite the fact that the Bible insists God does not dwell in temples built by hand, we, in our hunger for power and credibility and glamour, insist that God should. Who then is this? 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples probably looked at Jesus and they saw nothing of the Messiah, the king, that they thought this wasn't a king. He wasn't going to end up in a palace one day. So who then was Jesus? We still have to fight this temptation even today to be caught up in the power, the glory, the fame, and the fortune. We might beg and plead and lobby for a king that would rule over us, but we have to be careful because God is our king. Jesus is Lord. We are a people that are set apart. We are the ones that are to live out God's dream for this world, what the kingdom of God would look like. We are to be a light, a light to the nations. Our king doesn't live in a building. Our king can't be contained. Our king is over all of the created order because our king is the one that created order. Our King, our Savior, our Lord, our Messiah, our God is the one that speaks peace, be still, and boom. Even in the uncontrollable, untamed nature is calmed by the voice. Our King brings about peace and stillness and comfort and patience. So, how do we go about living when we aren't to hold allegiance here on earth to anyone or anything except our king? Well, take, for example, one of the great saints of the church, a man named Basil of Russia. If you've ever seen St. Basil Cathedral in Russia, that's the namesake. But he was quite a troublemaker. He often wandered the streets as a vagrant and a beggar, wearing nearly nothing at all. There are stories of him destroying the merchandise of dishonest tradesmen at the, square, at the, at the market on Red Square. And yet there's also stories of him kissing the cornerstone of mansions of the rich, praying for their conversion. Basil was one of the few modern-day prophets who dared to confront the evils of the Russian, Russian czar, Ivan the Terrible. Now, Ivan was notorious for an iron fist reign, sprinkled with every once in a while some religious devotion. So in the midst of Lent, when many Russians kept this vigorous vegetarian fast, Basil finagled his way in to meeting the czar to bring him a gift. And here's what he brought him. He brought him a giant bloody slab of raw beef with this message. Why abstain from meat when you are shedding the blood of your people? It's unbelievable, right? That Basil would stand up to this world's power, the czar, who was infamous when feared throughout the land, because Basil know, knew who his king really was. But here's the catch. Ivan the Terrible didn't do anything to Basil, actually. He didn't dare confront him about it. Instead, he actually offered Basil a gift in return, some money, 
that Basil then went out and gave to the poor. It's pretty remarkable, and I'm not sure that any of us today are ready to stand up to an evil czar and do quite that, but it is what living in a world knowing who our king is looks like, calling out the powers that would oppress, standing up for the least, the last, the lost. That's the king that Jesus was. So there's your inspiration for Father's Day. No, but really, when we, when we think about it, what does that mean for us? Who then is this, our king? Jesus, our king, our leader, is the one that we hold allegiance to, the one that reminds us that we are a people set apart for the sake of the world. The, ones who calm, the one who calmed the storm with just three simple words, peace, be still. The one who still calms us now. Amen.